All right, good evening, young adults. How are we doing? <laughs> good, good. Hey, welcome to our new series called I Think I Want to Marry You. Um, it's an awesome song by Bruno Mars. came out a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and he, in it, uh, I mean, it's been covered by Glee, you know, and, um, and by a bunch of different bands because it became so popular. But in it, he, he kind of discusses the way that we view marriage in 2016, the way that we view marriage and relationships and uh, connection in the 21st century. And it's basically like this, um, gosh, you know, it's a beautiful night and you look good. And I look good. <laughs> and I saw you raise your hands in worship. <laughs> and I think I want to marry you. But what I love about the title of this, what I love about the phrase of this series is it's kind of like, I think I want to marry you. I think I want to marry you. Like, like. Like, this is how we approach marriage in the 21st century. And don't get me wrong, like, I am all about the fairy tale. I am all about the power of um, connection and chemistry and all of that. But here's the problem, is that right now we kind of live in a society that says, go out there, okay, with zero relational skills, <laughs> find some chemistry, He's hot, she's hot, we kissed, there was something magical. <laughs> and then I think I want to marry you. And then we think to ourselves, this will surely withstand the next 60 years of trials, of issues, of babies, of losses of babies. We think to ourselves, man, I think I want Maybe we should just do it. And so how many people in here right now would you say, it is my intention, uh, if, you're, if you're not married, if you are married, just go ahead and raise your hand right now. I'd love to know who's in here and who's married. Sweet. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Who's in here and uh, has the intention of being married? Raise your hand. You'd like to be married. <laughs> Some of you have taken a vow of celibacy. In the order of Paul. We're proud of you. Um, how many of you in here, uh, that's awesome, that's everybody. Keep your hands up, keep, keep your hands up. Uh, you want to be married. Keep your hands up nice and high. How many of you in here would say um, you have the intention of committing adultery? How many of you in here would say you have the intention of getting divorced? It's funny. It's funny, and here's why. Because statistically, according to certain studies, half of you will commit adultery. And according to all studies, half of you will get divorced. And so what we're talking about in this series is fun, it's exciting, but it's also something that if you will lean into Jesus during this series, it could save your marriage, that we want marriages that defy statistics, that I want to see a generation of people, a group of people that defy statistics. See, because the world says, society says that, that relationships are really all about getting needs met, that he makes you feel good, that she makes you feel good, that she's, you know, she's going to meet your needs, she's going to be in a size two for the rest of her life, that she's going to want sex twice a day, three times on Sundays, and... <laughs> That he's always going to look good, his hair is going to look nice, he is going to compliment you, he is going to be the best father. That there is these misconceptions and these, these hopes that we have for marriage. And what we're really saying is, I'm hoping that, sat that marriage satisfies my flesh. That's what we're saying. I hope that marriage satisfies me in a fleshly manner. And Jesus says, you better be careful because what marriage really does is crucify your flesh. 
And so what I want you guys to get a picture of, what I want to do for this series is to paint an image of marriage that looks nothing like Cosmopolitan. It looks nothing like the TV shows that are on TV right now. It looks nothing like the movies. It is sacrificial. It is laying your life down for another person. It is saying, not my way, but your way first. May I give myself so that you can have more for you. Those are the kind of marriages that go the distance. They are nothing like what society is feeding you. In fact, I would say that society is actually teaching us how to be divorced better than it is teaching us how to be married. And so lean in during this series. Your marriage is depending on it. And you might be in here and you might be like, well, Jess, I'm just dating and I'm just, I mean, I'm just Netflix and chill, you know? (laughs) To you, I say, you're delusional. And here's why. We live in a world and in a society that is feeding you the lie that your dating relationship is absolutely disconnected from your future marriage. That what you do right now, that what you say right now, that the way you act right now, that that the person that you bring to the table, that the person that you date right now, it does not matter. Because marriage is someday in some other place and completely disconnected from every choice that I'm making right now. And what I want to bring to you tonight is a vision. Because God says, where there is no vision, people perish. Marriages perish. I want to set a vision for you of marriage that is fulfilling, that is sacrificial, that looks nothing like the world, and is completely based out of Christ. We are going to be spending all of our time in Ephesians 5. I suggest that you underline it and that you commit it to memory. Ephesians 5 says this. Starting in verse 21, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Oh, did she just say submit? Yeah, I did. Like, but what if he's not perfect? Oh, but it's what scripture says. Wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word, and to present her to himself as radiant, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Who loves his wife, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, nobody um, has hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church, for we all are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's beautiful. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he lumps himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, this is the verse we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. If it doesn't sound fun and exciting, I get it. That's okay. You don't have to come back. Um, But I promise you that if you lean in, We have good things for you, and God has good things for you. And tonight what I wanted to do is Ephesians 5 gives a very clear directive to wives. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then it says this about husbands. It says, husbands, you are to lay yourself down for the sake of your bride. And so in this this biblical picture, the wives are the church, and the husbands are Jesus. And I think sometimes when I'm up here and I'm a female leader and a female preacher, there's maybe this misconception about what the leadership maybe in a home is supposed to look like. And I wanted to make it very clear that as far as marriage is concerned and as far as our homes are concerned, that God has an order. And he has made this order so beautiful that the husband is the head of the home and the wife comes gently underneath that. And that is the way it is in our home. And so tonight what I'd like to do is invite four uh, men that I trust and respect up here. And they are just going to talk with us about um, what it looks like to try uh, to live up to this call as a man um, in the kingdom and in the home. And so would you welcome our four guests? Uh, First is John, my husband. Uh, Ronnie Johnson. Doug Weckman, of course. And Connor Grimm. 
There, there is. There's dollar bills up here, guys. I don't know why. Um, all right, so why don't we do this so that the crowd gets to know you and kind of gets to know um, what you're about. Why don't you introduce yourself and maybe uh, how long you've been married? So you just heard, my name's John, so that's cool. <laughs> I also go by JD with some people. Uh, we've been married for seven years. Uh, yeah, give me, give me some woos. Um, I was just thinking about this today. Uh, this August, so August 2016, we started dating 2006, August. We met at church. Ten years. <laughs> So, yeah. Awesome. Right. Connor? My name is Connor, and I've been married for three months. <laughs> so I'm the expert up here, clearly. Um, yeah, no, I met my wife at Heritage Square, um, so it'll always be a part of us, the creepy amusement park. Um, yeah, we met at church as well, so we've, and we've been together for three years total. I'm Doug, I've been together, or I've been married for, I was, <laughs> I've had my life together for, since 6.30. Um, <laughs> I've been married for two years in three months, so two years longer than Connor, um, which I pride myself on. Um, I met my wife, my beautiful wife, Sam, she's down there, hey babe, on a mission trip in Jamaica, so in the church kind of setting also. Hey guys, I'm Ronnie, and I've been uh, married to my beautiful bride for five years and three months. So it's three years longer than Doug and five years longer than Connor, so. <laughs> Absolutely, awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so for the ladies in here and then also for the gentlemen, what did your pursuit of your spouse look like? What did that look like to them and to you? Are we just doing order? Just all right, all right. Um, well, obviously we met at church, so that was a good start. Um, <laughs> we didn't meet out at the club or anything like that. Um, and our pursuit, let's see, well, my pursuit, I, uh, yeah, I just, we had like a light switch moment, and I knew that I was crazy about this girl. And... Um, Leading up to that, let me back up a little bit. Leading up to that, I just think I, when I was 23, I made a decision with the Lord that I wanted him to pick my wife. And we didn't start dating until I was 27. So there was like a four-year gap. And uh, so once we met um, at Heritage Square, um, yeah, like God just flipped me upside down and... I fell in love in like the first two weeks, which was awesome, so, yeah. How did I pursue my wife? Um, she actually pursued me, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it started with one of our close friends. I was just like, hey, I know this girl, and he was saying um, to her, hey, I know this guy, and uh, yeah, uh, we just kind of like hung out, like we were in the same friend group. We were in the same uh, community. And, and, and this is like one thing she said, like I like asked her because she's a lot smarter than me about stuff like this. And uh, she, was, she was just like, yeah, I think one of the, the initial ways I pursued her was that our, our life wasn't separate from our relationship. Like we met where we were already like having our life in church, like volunteering, hanging out with friends and stuff like that. And then... And then I asked her to be my girlfriend, like in the middle of December, outside with chili cheese dogs and uh, candles, because she loves chili cheese dogs. So, yeah. In, Is that like, real? In like 10 degree weather. Yeah, it was terrible. Actually. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I met my wife on a mission trip in Jamaica. I've told that's cheesy Christian story already. I know. I've told you guys this, but I was leading this mission trip and. Um, I took advantage, I leveraged my leadership to flirt with her, hit on her, and ask her out, and it worked. And um, we came back after that trip, went out for pizza, and the sparks were there, and it just happened. But the majority of uh, 
our dating relationship was long distance, and so we're a little weird in that respect. But um, so, I mean, it was long distance where I was doing a lot of traveling. We didn't have even Skype or phone calls, so we, we did letters and email for the majority. I know, yeah. I wrote her every day for a year. <laughs> I wrote you 365 letters. And, and so we kind of had to learn how to be together without physically being together, so little weird and different, but that was how pursuing looked yeah. in our relationship. Yeah. That's good. I met my wife when I was 16, so I was super mature. <laughs> and uh, the bulk of our first couple of, I guess, our first year or so of, of getting to know one another, it was, uh, there was a lot of AOL instant messenger and a lot of text <laughs> messaging. I was a pro That's at awesome. T9. Anybody remember T9? <laughs> pro. I was a pro. Uh, no, so we, we, uh, we were fortunate to meet each other when we were pretty young. We met in youth group at our church, which was awesome. Um, but uh, she came at really an inopportune time. I was 16 years old, just got back from a retreat. I was like on fire for God. And I was in this like middle of this like, God, I'm going to consecrate one year and I'm going to date you, God. I'm going to date you. And uh, <laughs> met my wife. I met my wife like four months into that, and I was like, no, it was like the worst thing ever. Um, but I held true to that commitment, and uh, that really gave us this like awesome runway to get an, an awesome friendship. And so um, I can really say that for the first several years of our dating relationship throughout high school, and then we went away to college together, um, she and I really had an opportunity to become like best friends. And so uh, our marriage really grew from being a place of best friends first. And, and you know, it didn't grow from a place of first being romantically involved and then going into marriage and then trying to figure out how to be friends. Mm. Um, so we really had an opportunity to, to be friends first. Uh, and that gave us a really great foundation to get to know one another. Um, but then to really figure out, okay, we both really, really like each other. And so where's this going to go? Right. And what's this going to look like? And so we were fortunate in that sense that uh, my, my parents had a real healthy marriage. Her parents had a real healthy marriage. And so it just started out healthy. And we were able to have a, a great friendship first. And looking back now, it's like our, our relationship got built on friends first. And so that's mm -hmm. carried us through a lot of the first couple years of our marriage. And I intend many, 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 many more. Absolutely. That's good. Um, yeah, I speak truth over that. Um, and what would you say, um, and let me ask you this, did you, uh, did you Facebook your wives or did you, did you go to their house or give them phone calls when you pursued them? <laughs> Doug hid behind a computer emailing. Um, no, I, uh, I mean, I, I went to... Aaron's house. I, mm -hmm. I, and guys, do please do this. It sucks. Like I don't know if I can say that, but it, it's terrible. But be the one that like has to drive home like at night. Don't make her drive over to your place. Like drive to her house. Be around her parents. Like be around her family. Um, I even talked with her dad. I think I think like we were really serious like really early in a, like a weird way. Like <laughs> I sat her dad down like two weeks into it and was like, I really like your daughter. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yes, Connor. Yeah, but um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's house. awesome. I like that. I like the idea. I I would prefer that the room err on the side of being more intentional and serious right off the bat versus like, oh, it's just you just want to hang. It's just coffee. You know, it's kind of like, well, maybe. You know, but I like that. I think that's cool. Um, what are the biggest lies that you think the world gives us um, about a dating and marriage? And why don't we start with you, Doug? Okay. Wait, can I say one more thing about the last question? You yes, yes. <laughs> I, uh, so I was, when I asked my wife out on our first date, um, I was in a car with two of my buddies, and they were giving me a pep talk to call her and ask her. <laughs> so sometimes it's helpful just to yeah. have buddies yeah. there who can speak, you know, a pep talk into you when it's, the, when it's time to do it. And then if she says no, they're there with you for the rest of the night to... Make sure you're not an idiot and that you're Dude, okay. but that's yeah, true. It's good. But I told her on the phone, and because I, I hear this all the time, like, people 
Like, oh, I've got this date thing Friday night. Actually, I'm not really sure if it's a date or not. And just for, for all the guys in this room, um, challenge you just to, like, this is scary to do, hard to do. I remember calling Sam just saying, hey, this is the guy from Jamaica. What are you doing on Friday night? And she said, nothing. And I said, well, now you have plans. You're going out with me to dinner. And this is, by the way, a date, Sam. This is a date. So you can that's plan awesome. for a date. And so I think that's important just to... If you want to take her on a date, let her know it's a date, you know? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Um, but what did you say? The biggest lies? Yeah. I think there's a lot. The one that um, stuck out to me, and a lot of you are not going to like this at first. I already know. But if you'll just let this truth sink in, it'll, I promise you it'll set you free. But the lie that there is one person out there, one person and only one person that can complete you, like the one right person that you have to find, or else if you marry the wrong person, it's not going to work, you know, like the mythical one person that's out there. And um, I found out, and it, 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 this is totally freeing when you understand, like, like, Sam's the one because I married her. Sam's the one because I chose her, not because she was the, the mythical one that I somehow just found. Like, if you think about that logic, like, 5,000 years ago, one dude chose the wrong girl, and then the guy who was supposed to marry her chose the wrong girl. And by 2016, like, you don't stand a chance using that logic <laughs> to find okay. the one, you know? And so she's the one because I chose her to be. I made a decision for that, and um, finding somebody... Um, you know, finding somebody that, like, I, I found this girl that I was just, I started to really like and then really love and grew crazy about, and she was running in the same direction as I was, and, you know, we're not 100% perfect for each other in every single way because we are both individually imperfect, you know, but the good thing about having a relationship under the banner of heaven is that he's the one who makes you perfect, therefore your imperfections can come together and make something beautiful as you run after him, but if you, if you focus on, like, is this person the right one, then as soon as things don't go perfect once you're married, you're going to start to panic and think, I married the wrong person. And that right there is the most, like that's just chains around your wrist for the rest of the time that you're together until you let it go and realize like, no, like she's the one because I chose her and things aren't perfect because they're not supposed to be perfect. You know what I mean? And so, like, that, that's so freeing, I think. Like, and it, it's almost more romantic and fairytale-ish, fairytale-esque, if you think about it, you know? Absolutely. At first, it's not. But when you think about it, it starts to free you. Absolutely. You have a free will. So you get, he's, he obviously lets you choose Jesus. He's going to let you choose your spouse. That's good. Um, John, what do I you would, think is? Yeah, I would say um, the, biggest lie. The, big, the biggest lie that I could think of or that popped in my mind was that marriage and dating are the same. That like, oh, my commitment to marriage is doesn't have to be that serious. Like I can be, mar we can get married, but I always have in my back pocket that if like something goes south, I can bail. Like that, that's acceptable in our society. It is. I mean, we know lots of people who get divorced, and it's because of petty things, not even like big serious things. You know, it's like. Uh, well, finances are a big deal. <laughs> or, you know, something to do with the spouse's parents or background or whatever. Just something about you, maybe just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be married anymore. Well, you're going to face that. It's going to happen. And that's like, that's the lie. You're going to run into hurdles. And to just be like, oh, well, I've always got divorce in my back pocket and it's not a big deal. And I'll get serious on like the third marriage. I think that's kind of like society's made that Absolutely. feel acceptable and okay, so. That's a good one. Ronnie? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I see most commonly is I think people think that once you get into this, like, marriage relationship, or once you find the one and we're dating and we're together, there's going to be this, like, magical light switch that's flipped. And some of the things that you dealt with prior to being with that person, whether it's dating, engaged, married, um, you think some of those things are just going to go away. So, 
I know there's tons of people, um, because I get to meet with them on like a daily basis, that are struggling um, with pornography um, and sexual sin. And they think that as soon as I get married, that just won't be an issue anymore because now I'll have somebody that we can be close to. Um, and it's, it's the biggest lie. Uh, and I think we have a lot of people that get insecure and think, oh, as soon as I get my man or I get my gal, it'll, it'll just make me feel so much more complete and so much more bold. And, and, and it's going to change everything. And I think as a byproduct, we have a lot of people that are lazy and apathetic, um, spiritually dry. Uh, You've got perversion in your heart and sexual sin and lust um, because you think that as soon as I get married, as soon as I find the one, they're just going to complete me. They're going to right all my wrongs, and we're just going to live this fairy tale life. And right. so I think a lot of people neglect some of the, the, the faults of their own heart. Um, and so, you know, Pursue purity, uh, pursue your dreams and visions, pursue the Lord like crazy, because once you get married, once you get with that person of your choice, the, your, your soulmate, um, stuff's not going to change, and so, you know, thinking that it's just going to flip a switch once you meet that person and everything's going to be different, couldn't be further from the truth, couldn't be further from the truth. That's super good, that's super good. Connor? Um. Two really quick. Uh, one, that living together before you're married is practice for marriage. Um, that's not true. And this isn't like a Christian statistic. This is like a like a in-the-world statistic that you actually have a 50% higher chance of divorce, even more so, if you live together before you're married, even if you don't believe in Jesus at all, like for whatever reason. And so living together is by no means practice for marriage. Like John said, you've always got to bail um, you've always got to get out of jail free card and you can just leave. Um, but also too, I think another one, and I think this like paralyzes people in relationships is that only bad relationships take work. Um, like good relationships take work. And I think like, I think, and I think from stage in church sometimes, like marriage gets a bad rap. Like we're like, marriage is hard and marriage is tough. Marriage is awesome. Like it's, it's, it the, is totally yeah, awesome. it's been the best three months of my freaking life. Like. <laughs> No, for real. Like, my wife is incredible. She's awesome. But we've had to learn in these, in these past three months how to communicate in a whole different level, um, even more so than dating. And so, like, you know, we, we got to go through pre-marriage counseling, and we've had, like, real heart-to-heart -heart discussions that I feel like some people would define as, like, work and, like, scary because we didn't see eye-to-eye -eye or we're dealing with baggage. But, like, the best relationships I know in my life, my parents, my grandparents— Dude, they, they take a lot of work, but they're worth it, and, and they're fun. Like, they're beautiful. It's not some dark cloud. Like, it's awesome. Marriage is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, though, because you would say your marriage is awesome because you guys did a lot of upfront work of communicating of, 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 like, no, but, like, working through things um, versus kind of what Ronnie was saying, where it's, like, instead of, um, you know, working on that stuff ahead of time, we, a lot of the time we think, like, oh, well, that will just solve itself when I get married, but you guys took care of that before you got married. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I love that. We did a lot of work really early up front. <laughs> <laughs> we we looked great. a little bipolar for a while, but <laughs> things worked themselves out. So. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, I feel like John and I were similar. So, all right. So what mistakes um, did you make uh, while dating? Um, and for the room, um, just so that maybe they could avoid making some of the mistakes you made um, that you that you wish you had avoided. Go first. Um, I came into well, my dating life. I wasn't pure when I came into our marriage, and uh, that's probably one of the bigger mistakes uh, that I can think of. And then the other one. Um, well, and I'll just expand on that. Like, God God resolved that in my heart, the sexual sin. Like, he and I worked through that. I received forgiveness. But it, there still had to be a hurdle that we had to overcome that I brought into the relationship. So I do want to encourage you that if that's the case, like, God does have grace. He's going he's gonna to work in your heart to prepare you for your spouse, um, you know, but there will be some hurdles that you'll have to face, um, but if you've already dealt with it with the Lord, that hurdle is just not as intimidating. Um, and then if you are pure, I just encourage you to continue that um, and to stay 
stay the course. Um, and I Real quick, uh, just like by show of hands, is is staying pure difficult? Raise a hand. Oh yeah, I aced it. So freaking hard, guys. Kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> so don't think it's gonna be easy. Don't be like, oh, we're on a couch and it's 2 a.m. No, <laughs> not easy. Just go home. So not easy. So. Um, and then I think the other, the other one I was thinking of is during my dating life, I would, I would come to a relationship with an empty cup and, and so desperately wanting that person, that gal, that girl to fill that cup, to validate me, to make me feel more like a man. Uh, and ultimately, thank, thank you, Lord, what that did is it just brought me to a place with him where he filled my cup. And I found my identity in him. And it totally freed me up to just be myself around the opposite sex. It was great. Um, you're attractive. Cool. Like, let's get to know each other. You're not the one. That's okay. Like the, but if I, when my cup was empty, it was like, oh, my gosh, you're so attractive. And, and uh, let's hang out. And then it just right. die-bombed. And, yeah. and then trouble could happen because what if that person wants to fill my cup? And then we, we just suck the life out of each other. And you know, impurity happens, and it just becomes a train wreck. So I would say those are my answers. That's good. Go ahead, Connor. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there's no harder baggage to overcome than, like, sexual baggage uh, in a marriage. Um, if I can just be frank, and Aaron, if I embarrass you, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but w when you, like, develop and, and, and have that intimate relationship with your spouse, but you walk into it with baggage, even if Jesus has totally like freed you, um, which he has in, 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 in my life, um, there's, there's just still these conversations that have to take place. And so like avoid like the plague, um, just any opportunity. Like I promise you, there is nothing you're missing out on that God won't give you like a hundred thousand fold within your marriage um, if you can just say no. And, and this even applies to like, you know, sexual relations with somebody that you might end up marrying. Like there's still just something so like holy and sacred about, about keeping yourself pure. And if you're not pure, you're not disqualified. Like Jesus like can wash you like tonight, like right now and make you qualified. Um, he's the qualifier, not, not a list of like rights or wrongs. Um, yeah. So that, and then what, what was the question? Sorry. Everything John said was so good. I was just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that was perfect. It was what mistakes did you make? And I think, I think you brought what needed to be said. All right, well, I'll say something along the same lines just because I can't, I don't think it can be said enough. And for me, that's always been the big struggle also. But um, it is so ridiculously challenging, the whole staying pure thing before marriage, especially when you find somebody that you know, like, I'm going to marry her. Like, I'm going to. So, and then once, once, like, you hit that kind of checkpoint in your mind, the enemy, I think, can start to play brand new games with you. You know, like, well, you're going to marry her anyways. And, um, like, here's, here's the thing, like, Anybody can give in, you know? It's not, that's not difficult, like, but not everybody can do it right. Not everybody can do it right, but there is something special, a special blessing I think God just lets fall all over you and your relationship when you do it the more challenging way, the right way. Like, I remember so many nights just, like, you know, 2 a.m. on the couch watching the movie, and, like, obviously that's not wise because every single time that's when like the the temptations hit you know and and there would be so many nights where the last thing that I would want to do is stand up get in my car and make the 30 minute drive home through the cold you know but I remember so many nights um getting in my car like so sleepy so just frustrated in every kind of way driving home <laughs> and um yeah blasting music trying to distract myself and, um, but some very special moments in my car late at night where I just felt so strongly God looking down and going, and this will sound funny, but like that a kid, like that a boy, like I, I know how challenging this is for you. And I want you to know that I see it. I want you to know that this is not for nothing. And I want you to know that I'm going to bless you in an extra special way because you're doing it the right way, even though the right way is more challenging. <laughs> Go ahead, 
I couldn't agree more. Uh, my wife couldn't keep her hands off me. Uh, <clears throat> no, but... Uh, <laughs> I knew this was going to I love it. Uh, yes, Kara. I think that there's moments, I, we, just a few moments ago, Jess was asking, how many of you have a desire to be married and everybody's hands goes up? Um, there's like this desire in our hearts to be married um, for the majority of us. And I think that out of that kind of desperation um, comes this like desire to bring this before God because we're Christians and, and God's going to hear our prayers. And, and so we go to God with this desperation to like find this spouse and we God fulfill this, you know, this void in my heart. And then once that, you know, knight in shining armor comes or, or your, your amazing princess comes into your life, um, that desperation for the Lord and to seek him and to pursue him kind That's of good. subsides. And so for me personally... Probably not you guys, but for me personally, I like cried out to the Lord in that season where I just said, God, I'm going to go after you and I'm going to dedicate a year of my life to just keep my eyes only for you. And then um, Kara comes into my life and you easily get distracted because it's like God's fulfilled this prayer that I've been so desperate for and I've been so faithful to pursue him. And I think the biggest mistake um, as I look at, you know, my wife and, and our relationship um, it's those moments where I get really comfortable because I got a gal and I got a companion and I don't need anybody else and it's just me and her, me and Boo, Darla and I. Um, <laughs> there, there gets to be this like comfort level that you no longer seek and are desperate for God to move in your life. You're no longer desperate for God inside your life and that creates all sorts of compromise and complacency and next thing you know, you're, you're cuddling up at 2 a.m. on the couch and you find yourself in a real difficult position that you don't really know how to get out of, um, you feel stuck, and your relationship goes somewhere from being this like God-honoring, Christ-centered relationship to something that's now full of compromise, and you're like, how did we get here? Oh yeah, I took my eyes off of Jesus, and so I think when you finally get that prize and lay hold of that prize that you've been so desperate for, um, or at least you think that you might have found that person, you put all your eggs into now, you know, turning the swagger up and, and you, know, you know, turning up your charm, and you miss sight of you know, the fact that Jesus was your first love in, in the first place. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you start getting in the balance of all the emotions, uh, it gets really easy once you get a hold of the prize to lose sight on really what should have been, you know, the prize all along. So that was, for me, still is the challenge. Yeah. And then, um, and this is kind of the money question, I feel like, of the night. But, um, but one thing that I want people to understand is that in marriage, the way that the Bible li lays it out is that um, both roles are equal, that Jesus has empowerment in both roles, um, but that the, the female um, is, is um, in, a, in the most blessed fashion, the church, and that the male is in the most blessed fashion, Jesus, and um, that it's important that we understand that, that, that there's order there, that God has called men, mankind, malehood, to be the head of the home, and that it's a beautiful thing. It's not a crushing thing. It's not our home has so much order and beauty because John leads our home. And so tonight, what I, the, this is the question I really wanted to get to, is what does it mean for you four to be the head of your home? So go ahead. Connor, you go first. We'll do, we'll do three months first, and then, right. we'll, and then we'll keep going. The wisdom first, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the, I want to do 30 seconds of scripture reading. Is that all right? 30 seconds? All right, so this is Ephesians 5 uh, in the message. It says, out of respect for Christ, <laughs> out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. So the bar automatically starts with reverence towards one another. But, and I think Chad pointed this out, um, out of respect for Christ. Then it says, wives, understand and support your husbands in the ways that show your support for Christ. Husbands, provide leadership to your wife the way Christ does to his church, not domineering, but by cherishing. Cherishing, so just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ has done for the church. And I think the fear in this word submission or, or, being, or being the head of the home is that it's like, what happens when he doesn't deserve it? And there is 365 days a year where I walk into my house and don't deserve 
that. But it says, like, ladies, submit to your husbands for Christ. Like, you do it because of who Jesus is, not how great your husband is, like, on that given day. Um, but then to be, the, to be the head of my house um, and, and to wash my wife with the word, it's more than, you know, putting Bible verses or whatever. It's just, it's just covering her. And, and I, I've, I've thought about this a lot because I'm a new husband, and I want to do it right. And I remember Aaron and I got into a little tiff, um, to borrow one of Whitney's words. Uh, we got into a little tiff, and, and I felt so justified in being right. And I like walk into my room, and I'm like, I'm just going to give her the cold shoulder until she comes and apologizes. And yeah, for real. Right. Oh, and, totally. Uh, this is how great of a husband I am, three months in. Um, and I remember, I remember praying and, and just being like, hey, Jesus, like, what would you, like, what do I do here? And he was like, you go say you're sorry. And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm wrong. And he's like, doesn't matter. Like, you go say you're sorry. And so, like, guys love this idea of, like, women submit to your husbands and, and husbands, you be the leader. But, like, the few glorious moments of leadership, like, when you make a good call and, like, things work out, um, there's 10 million moments where you go first by saying I'm sorry, where you go first by saying I'm wrong, when you go first by by giving up your chance to lead and, and allowing them to walk into it. And so I'm just scratching the surface of that. But that's okay. that's what I feel you'll like is. That's there. good. Yeah. <laughs> Doug said you'll get there uh, if you missed it. <laughs> um, go ahead, Doug. Yeah, well, along the same lines as that, um, loving your wife, how Christ loved the church. Um, you know, that sounds so awesome and cutesy and like that's a magnet for your fridge until you understand what Christ did to love the church was die for the church um, going first when we did not deserve it no matter what the circumstances are I'm going first on your behalf and just a funny little example this happened three nights ago this happens about once a week at the Weckenman household but we were almost asleep and then Sam heard a noise um, that might have come from somewhere in our townhome I'm not sure but like in that moment when we both sit up and she's like, there might be a bad guy in the house with a gun who's going to come kill us. There's no question like, okay, which one of us should go check the house to see if there's a bad guy out there? There's no question. Like that's not a conversation. If that's a conversation, I'm a crappy husband. And so I get up and you guys know we're Harry Potter nerds and we have the sword of Gryffindor. Gryffindor hanging on our wall, I grab the sword. Just because I'm like, if there's a guy in here, literally, like I want to have something, even if it's this, and I, I check all the closets and all the rooms and make sure there's no bad guy who wants to kill us. And part of that's kind of like annoying. Part of it's kind of a little exhilarating because part of you hopes like, I hope somebody is here tonight. I just, I want to use this sword. And part of it is honestly a little scary I remember my dad used to do that when we were little, and I thought, my dad is the bravest man in the world. But I now know my, there was a little tinge of fear in my dad every single time he did that, like, I kind of hope there's not somebody, because that would really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that, that's kind of like a funny metaphor, but like, I go first, you know? I go first, and it is, it, it's exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying, you know? Um, I go first in, like Connor said, in forgiveness, in saying that I'm wrong, in saying that I love you, in bringing home flowers when the last thing I want to do is bring home flowers. Like, I lay down my, I'm no longer a yeah. me. I am now a we. And whatever you put into marriage is what you're going to get back out of marriage, especially in the moments when you don't want to give anything, put anything into your marriage. But yeah. I go first. As men, we go first and start practicing that now. You know, like taking ownership of the calling that you've been given. Because the question was never equality, but men, the calling that we've been given is going first in everything okay. that we do. And in, back in Genesis 1 and 2, when Adam and Eve messed up, or Genesis 3, you know, Eve was originally duped by Satan, but Adam was passive, and so they both messed up. Who did God come for? God came for Adam. You know, they both were at fault. God said, Adam, you and I need to talk right now about what's going on because you're the head of the home. You go first. That's your calling as a man. And so we underline that verse in the Bible, like Connor said, like the idea, like submit to your husbands. 
and until you understand the weightiness behind that, then it, it doesn't drive arrogance, it drives humility and dropping to your knees saying, God, I, I can't do this unless you, you, you even go before me. You go before me, I follow you as I lead my family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I remember on my wedding day, I'm getting ready to like walk up onto the stage and my wife's getting ready to come down the aisle and my dad just says a few like quick words and he's like, son, remember, you're the point of the spear. You're the point of the spear. And I'll never forget that because I use that analogy in life. I use the analogy in leadership with my home and workplace, but just the analogy of being the point of the spear, the, the point of the spear only is that the spear itself is only effective if, if the point hits first, if the point goes first and, and is willing to, to plow through, is willing um, to, to, to go ahead of things. And so in, in marriage, it's the same exact thing. When our, our marriage, Kara and I, when, when our marriage is at its best, um, it's typically um, when I'm admitting fault the most, it's typically when I'm serving my wife the most, it's typically when I'm apologizing first, um, it's typically when I'm serving her. Um, that whole analogy of like, men, you know, love your wives like Christ loved the church, it sounds awesome, and we want to be a warrior, and Jesus is the man, and Jesus is a stud. Um, but the whole story behind Jesus coming to earth was the fact that he came to lay his life down for us. He came to serve us. Um, He came to take and live the lowliest life. And even his death on the cross was simply communicating to you and I, like your life is more precious than my own. Your your life is more precious than mine. And so I, I see you as more inferior. So I'll actually go through death so that you can live. And so the whole idea that's wrapped behind marriage is that as the point of the spear, dudes, fellas, um, you, you're going to go low. Um, you're going to be, uh, in some ways, you're going to look as though you're weak and might be subservient. Um, but the whole idea of you uplifting your wife and cherishing your wife, when you esteem her in your eyes, the idea of going low, there's nothing more honoring inside your heart. There's nothing more emotional. There's nothing that gets you more fired up than exalting and lifting up your bride and laying your life down for her. So it's not this subservient, weak thing. It's really like the most exhilarating challenge. And at the end of the day, it's the thing that I have to fight the hardest for. And so when I actually do it, I like walk out of the room with the swagger like, yeah, babe. <laughs> Lay my life down for you, babe. Yeah, um, it's true. So it's, it, but it feels, it feels amazing when you can, you can know that um, you've just esteemed your wife. You've just preferred your wife. Um, She feels amazing and you feel like the biggest stud even though you just served your wife and you just laid your life down. You just preferred her. So be a point of the spear. That's good. Go ahead, Nick. Um, I think, gosh, you guys, you guys rock. You said so many good good things and um, it's good. We use an analogy in our house. It's an umbrella analogy. Um, And as the husband, and it doesn't talk about men and women, it talks about husbands and wives. So obviously we can practice authority structures before we get married. You know, submit to your boss, submit to your parents, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, you can be practicing that now. But the umbrella analogy that Jess and I, we were taught uh, in premarital is that God, Christ, it even, it even goes above that. God the Father is the umbrella over Christ. Christ had to submit to the Father. Mm-hmm. He was the example of what that looks like yeah, um, yeah. unto the cross to die. So he came to earth, but he was, uh, he was in submission to the Father. Um, and then the Father turns his back and everything. And I mean... He's, Christ is incredible, and he can always be the one that we um, use as our example. And then husbands, you submit to Christ. Uh, Christ is your umbrella, and then wives submit to the husband. And it's like, it's linear, it's vertical. And uh, <laughs> when I got married, when we got married, I think I was just like, sweet. Yeah, I'm like, I'm head. Over this, (laughs) there's a fleshly side where you think that, and uh, and and God and Christ will quickly humble you, and uh, there there are times where in our marriage early on, this whole umbrella thing, 
Um, if I didn't present an umbrella, Jess couldn't be under it, and then there would be, there would be separation and difficulty. And I can't present an umbrella if, if I'm not submitting to my umbrella and I'm not working on that relationship with Christ. And then if Jess would travel out from under that umbrella. Which I do sometimes. I'll be like. <laughs> um, but let me just say to you ladies, when you do that, um, it makes your life harder. And it makes your marriage harder um, yeah. than when you come under. So. And I don't, fellows, I don't advise saying this, but I did say this a, f- a number of times. <laughs> I would go to Jess. <laughs> I would go to Jess and be like, and honestly, and you agree, I know you'll agree with me. This was actually, like, pivotal and important that I said this. Um, but I'd be like, sure, you can go do that thing, but you're going to travel out from under my umbrella. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just don't think it's going to work, whatever it is that you're going to do. And that was really bold. And <laughs> I think we learned how that yeah. all works. But, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. my, my thoughts. Yeah, it's funny to me because I think a lot of the time submission in society comes across as um, somebody crushing someone else or someone putting someone else down. But when I'm under John, I'm able to do all this. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, ladies in the room, it frees you. It frees you to come under him and to trust him as unto the Lord. So, um, can I add, uh, oh, go my ahead. Son. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I would also say the washing of the word thing, which is so important in this verse or in this series of passages, is uh, if you don't understand your identity in Christ and what he speaks over you, you're a saint, you're righteous, you're pure, you're holy, you're set apart, you're a holy priesthood, you. If you don't understand how much he loves you and what he speaks over you as a husband, then you can't offer that to your wife, you know. So you need to learn or begin to learn how to receive from the Lord, and then you pass that on to your wife. And that's the whole going before thing. Um, I love when Jess encourages me, but there's power when I encourage her, when I speak the truth over her, when I um, lay my life down or I lay you know, my pride down, and I encourage her, and I love on her, so I then receive from the Lord, he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to speak that over you, I'm going to love on you the way that you're loving on your wife, so. That's good. One time, John said that he uses a power washer when he washes me with the word. (laughs) thought that was funny. Sometimes I need a power washer, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so, uh, uh, what do you think, and I'm going to skip, skip a question just because of time, but what do you think is the best thing for single people in the room, um, and if, you're, if they're married, maybe things they can do now to prepare themselves um, or to enrich their marriage? Yeah. I'll just go right back to what I was saying. This is perfect. Um, <laughs> I believe so heavily in identity, and if, if you're dating, if you're married and this topic hasn't hasn't come up yet and it hasn't convicted you, um, you you cannot find your identity in your spouse. You cannot find your identity in the opposite sex. You can't find your identity in anything other than Jesus. And, you know, I had some people say to me, some people I respect, you know, say words like, you need to go take a look at yourself in the mirror and have, like, a heart-to-heart with yourself. Like, what, what do you... Could you look at yourself in the mirror and say everything about yourself that Christ says about you? And I was like, I don't know. And I went and I tried it, and I would start to speak, and I just felt super awkward and, like, inadequate. And I, I don't know, you know, could I say that I'm a saint? And it was, it was super intimidating. And that really began a process for me of, of discovering who I am in Christ. I didn't need uh, anything to fill my cup other than him. And so if you're coming to a dating relationship seeking your identity from it, it's, it's, that's the wrong motive. I would just encourage you to, to not do that, to take that hard look in the mirror and say, I, I don't think I know who I am. And so if I'm going to offer to a girlfriend or a husband or, or whatever the relationship is, if I'm going to offer to them someone who doesn't know who they are in Christ, then I'm just it's toxic. I'm just going to be sucking from them and trying to get life out of them. And that's not what God intended. So. That's good. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so in preparation for marriage, um, man, I'm going to snake part of Doug's answer, but he cheated because he was reading Wild at Heart before we did this, so <laughs> that's easy. Um, no, 
so before before we get any like oohs or ahs or like oh you know like do that throw away your xbox and like throw away your playstation and, and girls like guarding your heart like doesn't mean being mean and cold and like wicked and evil but like like that's the word that's the word like, tonight so, but like so many girls like get shut in because they're afraid to like, because they're guarding their heart. And so many guys don't do anything because what happens is marriage becomes the goal, like the ending. And Jesus is the goal. Like the call on your life is the goal. And so when you sit around and you play PlayStation, which is great, like PlayStation is not inherently evil. It's just distracting. Like, or, or when you're so shut off from relationships that you, you like don't live your life, but somehow you secretly want one, like you're stagnant. And like the greatest gift you can give your spouse, and this is what I'm stealing from Doug, is a life that you've already begun to pursue, a call that you've already begun to pursue that you invite them into. Um, when marriage is the goal, you get married and then you sit around and you say, what now? And yeah, I don't, I don't say this braggadociously, um, Big vocabulary up here. Um, no, but I was talking on the phone with my wife just about this because I don't want to come off as, as a fake. Um, and I was like, you know, what do you think about that thought? And she was like, I'm so thankful for the life you invited me into because I would never be working in a church or helping, you know, start different campuses or just, just do it. I would never have done that. And I came to her with more than my charm and my great looks. <laughs> I came to her, no, I, oh yeah, and my humility, being the uh. crown jewel. Um, no, I, 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 had, I had an adventure, like, with God. I, ha I had a call on my life that I wasn't giving up, but I wanted her so desperately to be a part of. Um, and I think that that's your biggest preparation is just go do it. Don't wait. Marriage isn't the goal. Like, your call, Jesus, heaven is the goal. Like, just do that with somebody. Yeah, well, I'll think of something else to say. Um, no, that's good. The, the corny John Eldridge line was um, at like the deepest part of men. One thing that we want is like an adventure to live. And um, I know this is kind of a blanket statement. I'm admitting that. But then at the core part of a lot of women, what, and you can, you know, don't yell it out now. But if I'm wrong, just treasure that in your own heart. But for a lot of women, what, what you want is to get caught up in his adventure with him um, on a calling in a life that he can offer in so many ways that you can get caught up in. And so um, just to kind of take that and to keep going, I would say, man, find, find completion in Jesus right now because I promise you, you can. And no matter how many times you hear that, you're still going to think, oh, but there's still room left in me that needs to be completed and a future spouse is going to do that and you're going to get married with that thought in the back of your mind and then you're going to find out that it was a lie and that it's not working and then you're gonna wonder if you married the wrong person or what's wrong and the best thing that you can do for your spouse or a future spouse is for you yourself to spend time with God and find completion in him so that you're not putting that weight on, on somebody else to do for you what they were never made to be able to do for you. Jesus is, the, Jesus is your savior. A future husband or a future wife is not your savior. They, they cannot do that for you. And so find completion in him and ask yourself, like, why? Why do I want this in the first place? Do I want this because I'm needing something like that? Like, I know for a lot of men, and, and God help me, I was here for years, which is why I can say this. But for a lot of guys, we, we pursue or we flirt with girls because it gets them to start to like, a, like us, which makes us feel better about ourselves. Like, it kind of puffs us up at their expense because we know, oh, I just got her to like me, and now I feel better about myself. And all that really reveals is the fact that you're insecure, and you need that internally on the inside. Um, and, and for a lot of guys, when we go into this dating game or whatever you want to call it for that kind of affirmation because you're not getting it from Jesus. And for a lot of ladies, what I've noticed is you, you let guys do that because you're lonely. You're lonely needing something else and so you'll let guys give you that kind of attention even though it's not out of a real pursuit or a real care for your heart. It's only to puff themselves up at your expense and at your failure to understand everything that Jesus has for you, you let them do it. And I promise you, like, there's nothing that'll, that'll um, straighten out a guy more than to have a girl say to him, hey, why don't you come back when you take this faith thing 
a little bit more serious. Like, that's going to mess a guy up, all right? And send him away, ready to do some work internally to come back, you know? And so find completion in him because if you don't, all you're going to bring to a marriage is a burden, wanting somebody else to give you what they can't give you, what only he can give you. And I promise you, you can find it in him. And it's almost like the, the, the less that you need marriage, the more you're ready for it. The less you need somebody else to do for you what Jesus can only do for you, the more that you're ready for it. And so find your completion in him now. And marriage is going to be so much more fun. Absolutely. Can we just rewind what he said and yeah. play it again? Yeah. <clears throat> no, that was amazing. Um, fellas. Uh, in my mind, there's, there's nothing that's more attractive to a lady than a dude that's fully alive. Um, you heard it. It's true. <clears throat> Take it from a dude that's been subpar at most things in his life. Uh, my wife is smoking hot. And, uh, and th surprisingly, <laughs> she's not blind. Uh, she didn't have a brain injury. Um, I know wholeheartedly that what, what attracted my wife to me uh, during my awkward years of being 16, I had this weird like emo dyed haircut. I wore like the weirdest clothes. Um, but there was something that drew her to me. And unapologetically, I knew that what she saw in me was somebody that passionately loved Jesus. And I've unapologetically done that. And that's been such a motivator inside our, our relationship was the fact that Jesus was first. Um, she didn't feel inferior to that. She didn't feel insecure to that. She felt esteemed and treasured. It was like a safeguard to be anchored. A husband that could be anchored to the Lord um, is going to be able to uphold his wife and treasure his wife. And so, fellas, run as fast and as hard as you can towards Jesus. Set your eyes upon Jesus. Run to Jesus. Bathe yourself in the word because one day you're going to have a pressure of a family um, that you're going to have the responsibility to right. lead them into godliness. And if I could encourage you, the Bible says that God has given everything that you need for life and for godliness. So he's given you everything that you need to have a successful marriage relationship. He's given you everything that you need to be a future father, um, a future business owner, um, a future friend, a future, you fill in the blank. He's given you everything that you need. You're not at a deficit. You're not unqualified. You're not ugly enough, though I've seen some of you. Um, you, you know, you don't need to spend more time in the gym. Um, there's this, this special thing that takes place when you treasure what Paul calls the inner man, the, the, the man that, that controls the spirit, the man that is in tune so with Jesus' heart. There's nothing that's more compelling for a woman. And, and like they were saying earlier, ladies, um, don't come into the relationship with a deficit. Don't come into the relationship with an empty heart. When the Bible talks about guarding your heart, nothing guards your heart like a heart that is fully devoted to Jesus. Um, you're so full. You're not coming with a deficit. You're not coming with a need for approval. You're not coming with a need for somebody to tell you that you're pretty. You're coming full. And when your heart is full, you're able to find that guy, like the Bible talks about, those that have been with Jesus. They're those companions of Jesus, the friends of Jesus. Ladies, holla at me if you want to find a man that's a friend of Jesus. That's what you want. That's what you want. So don't come to it with a deficit. Fellas, just set yourself on fire for the things of God. And I promise you, you will have ladies after ladies. You will have ladies stacking up to pursue a guy that's got a big call and a big dream and a big vision. So, so run as fast as you can to Jesus. That's so good. Um, you guys, can you thank them for being up here tonight? So as we close out, if everybody in here could stand. And... Um, I would love for every single individual in here to defy statistics. And so tonight, as we enter into worship, um, what I think you heard from the panel, from these four men that I, again, I trust, I respect, um, this one, I allow him to lead me. Um, they, tonight, would you cry out to God and ask him to build up your inner man?
like Ronnie was talking about. Cry out to God, ladies, and ask God to complete you. Cry out to God and ask him to deal with your baggage. Cry out to God and ask him to make you um, more like Christ and then that you would know who you are in Christ, like John was saying, that you would be full um, up to overflowing. Tonight as we worship, men in the room, know that you are capable. And um, I know that the guys said this, but as a female in the room, let me just say this to you. I don't have your call. And it's so important. But I can believe in you, and we can believe in you. And I can say I have faith in you that in Jesus, in Christ, you have what it takes to lead your home. Let us have relationships that defy statistics tonight, okay? So um, I'm going to have John pray for us, and then we'll worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our example. Thank you for um, humbling yourself to the Father um, by going to the cross and laying down your life for us, the church, so that we could have life and life to the fullest, not just not just for eternity, but for the here and now, Lord. And, <clears throat> and Jesus, I just pray uh, a covering tonight over all the young adults here and um, anyone who's listening online. Lord, um, I pray that you would speak to their hearts that uh, whatever we've said tonight that would um, guide them and, and give them uh, direction. Lord, I pray for wisdom. Um, whatever scenario um, everyone's in in their own walk with you, Lord, um, I just pray, Lord, that if, if, it's, if it's a type of scenario where they need to have a come to Jesus moment, not, not for salvation, but for, um, you know, an identity crisis. I'm, I've been living for myself, and I've been... Um, idolizing other things, and I'm coming to relationships with an empty cup. Lord, I pray that, that um, they would identify that and be willing to be broken, and uh, Lord, that you would show them what it looks like to have their cup filled by you, and um, that, that they would just uh, only need you. That's, that's the start of it. And then when we get to be in marriage and have a marriage relationship, um, we come to each other with a full cup. And so, Lord, I just pray, for, pray over everyone here tonight, Lord. Um, we pray for, your, for their future marriages. We pray for the, those that are married in this room. Lord, um, whatever struggles that might be going on, Lord, I pray that they would um, fall to their knees before you and uh, be humbled in the areas that they need to be humbled. And, uh, Lord, I pray for the future husbands in this room. Lord, um, like Jess said, that you qualify them. Um, you give them the call. And you make them able to be husbands, to be fathers. Um, it's not, it's not white-knuckled hard work that makes you a good husband. It's laying yourself down. It's surrendering. It's being, being willing to be broken um, by you and then offering that. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We pray uh, over worship tonight. We love you in Jesus Christ's name.